You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Thursday, December 7th. As you can see, if you're a YouTube viewer, I am doing this show from my closet. Uh, I feel like Harry Potter right now, but, you know, maybe that's all you need to get the magic going on a podcast. And um, joining me today, uh, as always on a Thursday, is Rob Stats Guerrera. Rob, how are you doing today? Steph, first of all, I feel like you are like in the cliche like I am. Everyone always says, oh, you, you're in your basement doing your show. Yes, yes, I am in my basement doing a show. And now you are in the closet doing a show. <laughs> well, not no longer in the closet, but yes, in the closet currently. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> Where where's that corny uh you know drum when you need it? Uh but you know, as always, Rob, uh we're gonna start this show like we always do, and that is taking a trip down memory lane this week in 49ers history. I have a doozy for you. So I actually want to provide some context to why I chose this specific game. Um after Sunday's game, I got a text from my brother. It was a, a text thread between me and his friend. Um, and, and basically, he mentioned this game uh, to me. And he said, you know, I should talk about this on the show. And, you know, actually, I found out after the fact. I thought, hey, that's like actually a pretty good idea. I found out after that the game was December 11th in 1989. So, Actually, technically, it is still within a week of this show, so even better, right? So let's go through it. December 11th, 1989, 49ers, Rams. Early in the fourth quarter, the Rams seemed to be cruising along with a comfortable 27-10 to 10 lead, sensing victory. Los Angeles Rams owner, Georgia, I think uh, Frontier is how you say it, strolled into the Anaheim Stadium sideline with a glass of wine to the delight of the hometown crowd. Um, but when she raised her glass in a toast to the fans, players on the 49ers bench took notice and they quickly responded with three touchdowns in 10 minutes. Um, so earlier in the game, John Taylor sees the short pass from Joe Montana and sprinted 92 yards to score midway through the fourth quarter. He did it again. He caught a car crossing route at the 16 yard line and he broke two tackles. And before you know it, uh, he was off to the races, 96 yard touchdown, by the way, with Jerry Rice leading the way as a blocker. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so John Taylor finished that game with 11 receptions, 286 yards, the second most single game receiving yards in team history. The 49ers went on to erase a 17 point deficit to beat the Rams 30 to 27. And by the way, most of what I just read there came straight from the 49ers website. They had a little write up on that game. So just wanted to give them a shout out for that. But Rob, do you remember watching this game and does it kind of remind you of a similar performance we saw this past weekend? Do I remember watching the game? How old do you think I am, Steph? <laughs> I don't know. I know I wasn't alive for it. The game was in 1989. I was four years old. Okay. No, 
I don't remember watching the game. All right. But I will say that the week before this, John Taylor also had 162 yards on five catches. And so with this game, he had the record for most receiving yards in back-to-back games. It was 450, uh, excuse me, it was 448 yards in the back-to-back games. That record stood until 2006 when Chad Johnson broke it for the Bengals. So that was a hell of a record for John Taylor, hell of a back-to-back weeks. Well, Rob, I I love that you remember that despite just being like four years old. You remember that he had (laughs) that game prior to this one. Um, I think that's pretty impressive. But the reason basically that my brother brought up that performance in our text thread was because seeing Debo's performance on Sunday, while not as spectacular as, you know, John Taylor's performance, did give him some semblance of you know, a similar type of game uh, from Debo Samuel. And by the way, Debo is the first receiver, first 49ers receiver since Jerry Rice to be named NFC Offensive Player of the Week a total of three times. And Debo still has some time to go, so he might push it a four. He's incredible when he is properly motivated. He's not always proper. You know, it's funny. It's kind of like, John Taylor, Jerry Rice used to say about John Taylor, if he had the same work ethic, John Taylor could have been just as good as Jerry or maybe even better. But he just, not everybody is programmed like that. And I kind of think that's how Debo is. You know, if he's not getting the ball or if he's just not motivated in, you know, like a playoff game type situation, he's not the same player. But when he is, when it's all systems go, you get performances like we saw on Sunday where he is just a wrecking ball, where he is utterly unstoppable. You know, every once in a while, there, there'll be like 49er fans on Twitter who posts like, you know, a sarcastic uh, tweet that says, I heard that the opposing team's players said this. <laughs> and it's just something that they would never say and totally like disrespectful. I, I kind of feel like we need to start doing that for Debo, like just get him extra pumped up for every game. Like, Hey Debo, look, everyone is talking trash about you. What are you going to do about it? And we know what's going to happen after that. So, I mean, he needs a reason to be pissed off going into every game. And it just seems like you, you get his best performances. So, Hey, maybe, maybe we need to uh, do that for these playoff games coming up here. But Rob, in the spirit of, I guess, this week in 49ers history, I do want to mention something that just, you know, news that broke shortly after we went live here. Former 49ers kicker Robbie Gold officially announced his retirement as of this Thursday morning. Um, and, you know, I just want to ask you, Rob, what is your favorite Robbie Gold moment? Oh, I mean, this one seems obvious to me. It's the same moment that he picked as his favorite kick of all time. I mean, the walk-off against the Packers in the playoffs in 2021, in the snow, at Lambeau Field, below freezing, 49ers don't score an offensive touchdown in that game, yet beat the top-seeded Packers. That's an all-time playoff kick. That is an all-time, regardless of team, regardless of anything else. That is one of those forever-type moments and it it capped one of the craziest playoff games ever. It's a credit to Robbie Gold and his career. And he retires 
for a kicker to me with like one of the greatest little things you can have. Like, for example, if you win the hundred meter dash, you're the fastest man or woman in the world. Like that is a cool title. I am the fastest man in the world. If you're a kicker retiring and never missing a playoff kick of any kind, like Robbie gold has, I think that is like the coolest thing ever. I know he doesn't have a ring, but other than that, that is a really cool thing to be able to say from now until the end of time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously that that kick will live in all of our memories and that was just an incredible game in general and it just felt like one that neither of the teams like should have won really. It was just a mess of a game uh in the snow. Uh but Robbie Gold's built for the type of game like that and it just felt like the perfect ending um for him and the 49ers. I, I think my second favorite memory, and this one's kind of a funny one, is when he warmed up. I believe this was in the play one of the playoff games against the Cowboys. He warmed up on the field as the cheerleaders were doing their dancing routine. <laughs> that is just cold. Like he was like that though. Like he doesn't care what's going on. He's gonna practice his kicks if there's anything he's gonna do. So shout out Robbie Gold. Um, and you know, an incredible career. He had 447 career field goals. He scored 1,961 points. As you mentioned, Rob, that perfect playoff career, 29 for 29 on field goals and 39 for 39 on PATs in the playoffs. Incredible career. Thank you, Robbie Gold, um, and enjoy retirement, buddy. Most accurate in 49ers history. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, you know, I, I know a lot of people were like, you know, bring Robbie Gold back. Um, it could still happen. And I guess like with this news, that kind of closes the door uh, to that being a possibility. Um, but, you know, Jake Moody's doing doing well. So not to shift the discussion of Jake Moody, but because that could go down a rabbit hole in <laughs> itself. But, um, you know, just uh, happy for Robbie. So. Yeah, and enjoy retirement. All right. Well, Rob, um, we got some other news in 49ers land, and that is unfortunately some injury news. And Kyle Shanahan gave us a little more information on Eric Armstead's injury. Remember, last week he was dealing with a foot injury after the game against the Eagles, in which he did play and uh, played the entire game. He is now dealing with a knee injury. Now, Kyle said he would give us more information that he did, sort of. Um, <laughs> and he said, quote, yesterday, um, it's not ACL, MCL, nothing I would be able to remember to tell you guys. I'd be surprised if he's ready this week. We still haven't ruled him out yet, but it might be a week or two, end quote. Um, I love Kyle. Like, this is this is the perfect, like, telling me something without telling me anything. <laughs> um and and thank you for for not remembering uh, Armstead's injury enough to tell us. But, you know, basically what it tells us is that it's going to be possibly one or two weeks till Eric Armstead is back. And I wonder if he suffered this knee injury because of maybe like overcompensating because of the foot injury he was dealing with. And that that could be tricky because you don't want to get into a situation where. Other, you know, other things pop up because you're trying to play through one injury. So, yeah, I, I think it would make sense for Eric Armstead to at, at least miss this week against the Seahawks. And if they have to, maybe the next week. Um, but what are you thinking about Eric Armstead not uh, 
you know, all but being out basically for uh, week 14. It's going to hurt. There's no question about it. He's been one of the 49ers best defensive linemen this year. I think PFF has him at basically 81.9 grade on the season. He's been getting some sacks, but also forcing quarterbacks to move off their spot and helping other people get sacks, which obviously is very important. Um, They're going to miss him for sure. Uh, But also I think that win over the Eagles was pretty important because, you know, it sets the 49ers up now. I mean, they could clinch a playoff spot this week. If the Niners win and the Vikings or Packers lose, the Niners clinch a playoff spot. So you got through that difficult part of your schedule. If you've got to sit them for a couple of games against Seattle or against Arizona, the next two, I think you live with it because we're getting to the point now where it's playoffs, where we just need to be lined up and ready to go for the playoffs. And so if you've got to sit him, you do it because we've seen when this team is healthy, they don't lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if there is any two weeks that you would lean to be cautious on any player in his injury, it would be these next two games. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, Eric Armstead, his impact these last few weeks, like even going back to week eight, uh, he had a sack and at least one sack in every game. Uh, Of course, the game against Philly, he didn't have any sacks, um, but still an impact, six pressures. And as you mentioned, Rob, he helps other guys as well um, get their sacks. He's a big part of the defensive line success since the bye week, Um, especially in week 11. He had 12 pressures that game. And then in week 12 against the Seahawks in Seattle, he had three pressures and two sacks in a hurry. So, to have an idea of what the 49ers are going to be missing this week again against the Seahawks, just look at that stat line. But I do want to mention, like, this could mean more opportunities for other guys, like Kevin Givens, who is the backup um, defensive tackle at the three tech spot, could um, certainly start in this place. Um, or I'm also thinking, like, someone like Javon Kinlaw could could even be someone that maybe the 49ers want to move uh, to Eric Armstead's side because Kinlaw lately has been stacking his games and he had his best game last week against Philly, five pressures, two sacks, three hurries. And when uh, Kyle Shanahan yesterday was asked about Javon Kinlaw's last few weeks, he said, quote, I want to say almost right when we got back from our bye week since then, Kinlaw's game has gone up each week. I think it gets better and better each week end quote it's hard to uh disagree with this right yes but i wouldn't mess with it like i think that you're still walking a very fine line with that knee with kinlaw what they've got him doing now is working i like that they are not overtaxing him you know he's he's in a much more limited role than he had been in previous years and i think that's helped him stay as healthy as he has been i almost just just want to leave it like just let it go give me Kalia Davis or you know somebody else like that let them take the snaps Kinlaw has been better than we ever really had hoped he was going to be this year to be honest with you and so I don't want to mess with that yeah I was actually surprised to see that Kinlaw I believe only had like 22 snaps Mm -hmm. on Sunday and I was thinking it was more because in my head, like I saw him out there a lot, but it was really just because he was making a little more impact with less snaps, which is always a great thing. And it seems like that specific role has worked very well for him and the 49ers 
this year. And so I'm with you. It's an option for the 49ers, but I think they continue to roll with uh, Kevin Givens starting in place of Eric Armstead. Kinlaw will continue to rotate in. And I'm sure we'll see defensive tackle uh, Kalia Davis, as you mentioned, who made his NFL debut last week against Philadelphia. Remember, he redshirted his entire rookie season, and they've taken it pretty slow with him, even like this year. Um, But he was ready for that game last week. He was active for the game, and he got active on just like 19 snaps. He he played uh, 16 pass rushing snaps, and he had two pressures, a sack, and a hurry. So not a bad day for Kalia Davis. Definitely in his first game, not a bad day. Yeah, and you know, you don't need him to be a hero. Just be a league average. Just give me a league average player. The rest of the defense can pick up the slack. Get in there, do your job. Let Kinlaw stay in the role that he is in. And, you know, look, this defense has been lights out. Originally, I calculated it as allowing 12 points per game after the bye. But Jesse Naylor actually pointed out on Twitter and corrected me that six of the points came on a pick six that Brock Purdy threw. So it's actually more like 10 points per game since the bye week. So I think the defense can sustain this. What you don't want is cluster injuries, right? If you put Kinlaw in that new role and then he goes down, now all of a sudden you're down Armstead and Kinlaw. Now you get into a a scarier situation. So I I hope the Niners just let Kalia Davis handle it and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, it should be good. I mean, I'm excited to see Clay Davis get more opportunities. Uh, Nick Ellert says, how about Randy Gregory the last few weeks? Hertz was good practice for Kyler and Lamar. Yeah, Randy Gregory um, played a, a, a lot of snaps, more than we had seen from him in previous weeks, for sure. And that was because we didn't see a lot of Chase Young on Sunday. And I think part of that was the 49ers plan to just sort of set the edge and play the contain game with Jalen hurts. Good to know that they have different types of edges that I guess could give you a different skill set. I mean, Randy Gregory did a good job. I thought of, of setting that edge and not being too over aggressive. Um, and so I, yeah, I wonder if we do see more Randy Gregory, you know, down the line here, but good to know they have options and a good rotation. It was so encouraging to see the way they played Jalen Hurts. They did not, for the most part, there were a couple of times where they lost contain a little, but for the most part, I thought they did a really good job of rushing as a unit and keeping him contained and in the pocket. That is exactly what you need to do against someone that is mobile as Jalen Hurts. So, you know, I think it's tempting sometimes because you're like, we have Bosa and Chase Young and all these guys and we can go get sacks and I'll meet you at the quarterback, right? And all that stuff. But they talked about, you know, Kyle talked about specifically kind of going against your instincts in that spot, because if you do that, you make life easier for Jalen Hurts to escape and make big plays and stuff like that. If you almost do less in a, in a sense, like you're actually doing more because you're limiting what Jalen Hurts can do. And I think maybe for like all but three or four plays on Sunday, they did that. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a impressive game plan from Steve Wilkes and it was impressive execution uh, from the players. And it makes me feel good about that, you know, game in a few weeks against the Ravens, because that's going to be a tough, similar test to what the 49ers just faced Um, here, Rob, I'm going to throw out one name going back really quickly to the Eric Armstead discussion. If Eric Armstead, you know, misses, let's just say more than two weeks, and 
you know, I, I hear there is a free agent defensive tackle out there. Um, Nadamuku. Oh my God. I, I hate saying his name. Uh, Nadamu, Kong Sue. A boy named Sue. Yes. Sue. So there you go. Um, yeah, I like, I mean, he's a free agent. He's said he wants to join a contender much like he did last season when he re-signed with the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles, of course, another option for him this year if he wants. But, you know, if the 49ers wanted more depth at the interior defensive line spot, he'd, he'd be someone they can um, they can call up. Yeah, for, you know, for limited duty, uh, yes, but here's the thing that worries me about that, Steph. We just went through this whole thing with Dre Greenlaw, right? And every time Dre Greenlaw makes a tackle, you worry about a 15-yard penalty. Well, what do we know about Ndamukong Sue? Oh, my God, does that man like to get flags? He's stepping on people. He's He is a dirty player. Like, let's be honest. Greenlaw's on that line, and Ndamukong Sue is over the line. Do you want to have two of those guys on your defense together? I don't know. That, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Maybe he does belong in a team like uh, Philadelphia, you know, fits right in with that city. Um, but, you know, I just feel like I won't be the last person that maybe brings that up. And maybe as a playoff inches closer, we'll start to hear his name a little bit more often, I think, just as an option for some of these contending teams. But, Rob, there's another player out there, a veteran, a former Super Bowl uh, winning player who recently became a free agent. He was released by the Arizona Cardinals. I'm talking about tight end Zach Ertz. And Matt Barrows yesterday actually tweeted this out. 49ers are believed to be one of the teams most interested in tight end Zach Ertz, who may wait until next week to decide. Um, I And I thought this was, it made sense because I think a lot of people after Ross Dwelly, we heard that he suffered a high ankle sprain. It, it just made sense, the timing of it all. Um, and so there's other teams who could use uh, his services like the Ravens, for example, and he can always yeah. go back to the Philadelphia Eagles for old time's sake. Uh, but this makes sense as well, given, given the timing. So what do you think about the 49ers potentially pursuing Zach Ertz? I just love that the Niners are in on all these guys, right? That the Niners, they're not, they're not satisfied. They keep trying to add, they added Logan Ryan. I love the addition of Logan Ryan. Two Super Bowl rings. Just add him to the locker room. I think that's yeah. incredibly valuable. As a de- again, these we're talking about as depth pieces, not as someone you're depending on to be your immediate starter. That's the exactly. key here. Is that you're you're these are just you know side dishes. They're not the main entree, so to speak. So you're telling me we could get Zach Ertz to be the backup to George Kittle? Absolutely, I'm on board with it. Obviously. He went to Stanford, so he's, you know, clearly has ties in the area. Maybe that could be, you know, a potential draw. Why wouldn't you want to join the 49ers at this point? Honestly, like what, how do you watch that game on Sunday and think, no, I'd like to go to a different team. Yeah. I mean, both him and his wife, um, who is a pretty decorated athlete herself. Um, both of them went to college in the Bay area. So, you know, they, they have some ties to the Bay and it makes sense from that standpoint, the 49ers are maybe the most attractive contending team of all of them. I think the only thing with the 49ers that may be different from the Ravens, 
for example, is that the 49ers already have a tight end one and a pretty good one in George Kittle. And so really Zach Ertz would come in here, be the tight end two. Um, and as we know, like Ross Dwelly, he was a tight end two and not doing a whole lot of pass catching, you know? And so I don't know if that role would be different with Ertz because he does have, you know, that experience of being a, a pretty good pass catcher himself, but that just hasn't been the role historically on this team. So from Ertz perspective, is it about going to the team that gives you the best chance to win a Super Bowl, or is it is it about going to a team who gives you the best chance to win a Super Bowl and could give you a featured role in their offense? And if that's the answer, then I think the Ravens probably the better fit. But I'm with you, Rob. I do like that the 49ers are exploring this. It makes a lot of sense, I think, on both sides. You are doing exactly what a championship team should be doing. You should be in on everybody. You know, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, Steph, but if anybody's a Star Wars fan out there, it's like that scene with Kylo Ren when he, they're shooting the lasers at Luke Skywalker and he's in the he's in the in a little like ATV there, whatever the hell it's called, and he's screaming, more, more. Like that is what the Niners are doing from a player acquisition standpoint. And they should, by the way. You never know. It could come down to one weird play in a game or Maybe Kittle gets like banged up or he gets checked for a concussion, right? And the Niners need a big third down conversion. I'd certainly like to have Zach Ertz running that route instead of, say, Charlie Warner or Brayden Willis or whoever you want to throw in there, right? It, you never know. So, yeah, the more good players you add to this team, I am all for it. Yeah, and, and players who, like I said, have that experience of having won a Super Bowl, not just being like a veteran, which is already pretty valuable in this league. Uh, but you mentioned Logan Ryan, who has won two Super Bowls, and Zach Ertz would add, add on to that. It definitely doesn't hurt to have that kind of experience in the locker room. So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Um, but as we know, you know, the 49ers have their fair share of uh, really talented players. And this is where I shift the conversation to the Pro Bowl voting. We got some updates uh, from the league, and I'm just going to share this really quickly. I know that you can't read any of what this says here on the screen. I can't either. But what I wanted to illustrate for you know those watching on YouTube is the sheer volume of 49ers who are on this list, and they are noted in red. Mind you, this is only showing top 10 voting in each position, some positions have two Niners in the top 10 and 49ers have the most total votes of any team. In fact, the only positions that don't have at least one 49er in the top 10 are free safety, strong safety, kicker, outside linebacker. And the 49ers technically don't have an outside linebacker given their scheme. They have defensive ends and special teams player. So just four positions without a 49er in the top 10 and really technically three if you don't count offensive uh or sorry outside linebacker so here's how it all breaks down for the 49ers christian mccaffrey trent williams george kittle nick bosa javon hargrave fred warner has the most votes have the most votes um at their respective positions in the nfc uh i know that the pro bowl is like yeah, a popularity contest and, and all this, but I mean, it, it feels good to see some of these guys get recognized. And if we remember Christian McCaffrey 
wasn't even voted into the Pro Bowl last year. Think about that. Think about how absurd that is. But it just speaks to the quality of the roster. I mean, you've got one, Fred Warner, Trent Williams, McCaffrey, Juice Check. That's Juice Check. That's four people that are number one at their positions. Kittle's two. And the only reason Kittle is two, let's be honest, is because Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift. Like, that's it. That's why George Kittle is second. Otherwise, he'd be first. All the Swifties are loading the ballot box for Travis Kelsey. Oh. Whatever. But, like, you know, Kittle is having the better year, I think. Kittle's having a year. He's on pace to go over a thousand yards. I think Kittle is having really a career resurgence and he has ever since Brock Purdy has taken control of the starting quarterback job. Kittle's had more than a quarter of his career touchdowns since Brock Purdy took over. So, you know, for all the people that say that Brock is being carried by the whole roster, like, no, he's elevating people too. So let's just keep that in mind. But yeah, this just in the Niners have a really good roster. Yeah, I'm, you know, Taylor Swift put uh, Travis Kelsey on the map. So that's pretty much why he's <laughs> he's number one in in voting. But I'm with you. I mean, Kittle's put together a great year. Christian McCaffrey's putting together a great year. That puts him in the MVP conversation, offensive player of the year conversation. So it's nice to get these accolades. I know it doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. I think it means a bit to these players. And I only say a bit because I think all of these these players would agree that they would prefer to be in the Super Bowl uh, than voted, you know, in the Pro Bowl. But it it still means a lot for some of these players. And going back to Christian McCaffrey, he's actually gotten the third most total votes uh, throughout the league of any player. Forty three thousand three hundred thirty one. The only two players above him are C.J. Stroud and Tua. I'm actually surprised that Tua has gotten the most votes of any player. That's crazy to me, um, but shout out Miami Dolphins fans, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, Tuanon is strong, apparently. I can vote more than once, right? So I bet he's just got this yeah. loyal army of people that are that are voting, much like the Swifties with uh, Travis Kelsey. CMC deserves all the love, man. He's an incredible, incredible Hall of Fame level player. You could make the argument, and I, I think you could, that Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the history of the 49ers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you definitely can make that argument. And he hasn't been with the team that long, but he's already like had these just the numbers that he's put up with the 49ers in such short amount of time. I think you can already make that argument, which is mind blowing. Right. And he still has some years to go uh, on his contract here in San Francisco. So, yeah, there's. Oh, the only way to go is up with with Christian McCaffrey, which is scary to think about he's got the rest of the league. he's got 12 rushing touchdowns this year that's the most ever for running back in 49ers history he's already got over a thousand yards i think he's like less than 600 yards away from the single season 49ers rushing record which belongs to frank gore right now but mccaffrey can easily get that before the if he has a couple of big games it's definitely possible for him to get that he's in the midst of the greatest running back season the 49ers have ever had I think there's a legit argument for him to be the most valuable player. I hope he wins offensive player of the year. Cause I put money down on that before the season started. Nice. But yeah. Like that's where we are. McCaffrey's having that kind of season. We've already seen him, you know, beat some of these 49ers records that have existed for many, many years. And he's just going to continue to crush uh, records you know, as long as he's with this team. So 
Um, happy for McCaffrey, you know, getting some love in the Pro Bowl voting. Um, and, you know, for those of you interested in voting, you guys could vote through social media uh, starting December 11th to 25th. Uh, that's like my preferred way of voting. It's just so much easier than going on the NFL website and you know, like going through their whole voting process. Um, but, and, you know, as Rob mentioned, you can vote as many times as you want and you can vote for many players on a single post, uh, you know, so efficient. If you like efficiency, that is the way to go. Um, the votes on the final two days, so Christmas Eve and Christmas Day will count double towards those players. So keep that in mind. And players and coaches will vote uh, December 29th. Um, but a long way to go. So keep voting for those 49ers. Um, but it's been a great look for, you know, the voting for them so far. So keep it up, y'all. Um, all right. Well, Rob, we, we know that the 49ers want to get to the Super Bowl. And in order to do that, there's a couple of they need to make the playoffs first. Right. Which, you know, they're going to do like we pretty much know that unless something really drastic happens. But they could do it as early as this week. They can clinch their playoff spot if they win this week and if uh, the Packers lose or they can do it with a win and Vikings losing or uh, with a win, a Green Bay tie, and a Vikings tie. I hate the ties. When I was at NBC, we always would get the, the league sends out the playoff scenarios, and I would always tell the graphics producer, don't put the ties up there. They take up way too much space. It's, it adds an extra layer of confusion for the audience. Just put the wins and losses. And if they tie, we'll get to it if it comes up. I It just makes it so confusing. Niners win and a loss by the Vikings or Packers. That's all you got to think about. There you go. I like that. Uh, simple. I wonder if there's ever been a time where there has been two ties. Like, look at this. Like, one of the right. scenarios is two ties, right? In one week. Like when has that ever <laughs> happened in the NFL? Um, so that would be pretty crazy. And so, yes, if, if you want to look at it simply 49ers win and green Bay or the Vikings lose. So in order to get the win though, the 49ers have to get through the Seahawks. And I know, you know, the 49ers won pretty convincingly in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, but we all know those Seahawks are freaking pesky. I saw something that said the Seahawks have never lost four in a row under Pete Carroll. Um, impressive. Uh, but maybe even more impressive since 2021, the 49ers have gone 20 and three in November, December, and January regular season games um, and they've won 15 consecutive games in those months in the regular season. It speaks to Kyle Shanahan. It speaks to the way this team gets better as the year goes along. And the Seahawks games are misleading because if you just look at the final score of the last four, they've outscored Seattle 120 to 54. So you're thinking like, man, they own them. But if you go back and look, for example, the game on Thanksgiving, was 24-13 in the fourth quarter. Like, and then the Niners pull away. And so the score looks bigger. Like these games tend to be close for a little while until the Niners pull away eventually. And I know if I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm saying, hey, one or two plays go differently. And all of a sudden we're in this game instead of it being a blowout. And I think that's the message that Kyle was trying to send to the team this week. And I also wonder, because it's it's so odd that 
both of their games against the Seahawks are so close to each other. I'm like, does that benefit the team who won or does it benefit the team who just lost because they can make that quick turnaround adjustments. But at the same time, 49ers maybe don't need to make a whole lot of adjustments, but clearly what they did the first time around worked pretty great. They, I mean, Kyle Shanahan said it, right? Like you pretty much know what the other team is going to do. There's not really a ton of surprises. And I, the thing you, you have to love about this 49ers team is they have not just one guy who can do this. But they have four guys who you might know what they're going to do. You might be on what they're going to do, but they just might make a play that just a superhuman type play that even if you're in the right spot at the right time, you still can't stop. And they could do it with Debo. They could do it with Ayuk. They could do it with Kittle and they can do it with Christian McCaffrey. And in the division game, like you said, where you've, you just recently played them two weeks ago. I love having that type of, of advantage on my side. Yeah, I, I agree. I was actually, you know, surprised that the Seahawks put up 35 points against the Cowboys last week. I believe that was a Thursday night football game. Um, it was 41-35. Of course, the Cowboys ended up winning it. But I feel like that was the Seahawks' best response from losing to the 49ers in the fashion that they did. And, I mean, ultimately, they're now in third place with – uh, in the NFC West, they're tied uh, six and six with the Rams, um, but Rams have the advantage over the Seahawks in you know the standings. So the Seahawks are kind of fighting for their life <laughs> at this point in the season. And so I would imagine the 49ers are going to get the Seahawks' best effort once again. They're in desperation mode. But again, is that really going to be enough for the Seahawks? Now, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I think we, I I think we pretty much know as long as the 49ers play this their best game, right, and, and right. don't play down to their opponent, which it by history will tell us that in November, December, and January, they simply don't. Uh, so it's not looking good for the Seahawks. If you'll allow me a shameless plug, uh, earlier this week, I sat down with Steve Rabel, who is the voice, the radio voice of the Seahawks. And just to hear him tell it, I mean, he is really expecting the Niners to win. And he says that he thinks that Geno Smith was really kind of shell-shocked a little bit about throwing interceptions and turning the ball over. And that he thought he was back to his old self against the Cowboys, willing to let it rip and let it go. But when I heard Steve say that, I almost wondered if the Niners can get an early turnover in the game. Maybe he kind of reverts to, oh, no, don't screw this up. We can't get blown out again and kind of goes into a little bit of a shell, which obviously would be good for the Niners. But, uh, yeah, Steve Rabel, haunt, his voice haunts my nightmares, but he's a super, super nice guy. <laughs> and he told a really good John Lynch behind the scenes story because he knows John Lynch pretty well from when Lynch was the broadcaster. So uh, that's up on the Gold Standard YouTube channel. Shameless plug. If anybody uh, wants to go and watch it, I highly recommend it. Not just the shameless plug, Rob, but you left us on a cliffhanger there. I thought you were going to tell us the story, but he said, nope, check it on the channel. I respect that. Yeah, I, I respect that. So make sure you guys check that out on the Gold Standard Network um on youtube wherever you get your podcasts make sure you guys subscribe to my channel as well step 49k um 
you know, and, and leave a review on on wherever you get your podcast as well. If you're an audio listener, you know, five stars, you know, whatever you want to do. And make sure you like this video if you have not yet. But Rob, um, I th- I think uh, we're we're good. Do you want to do a quick um score prediction for the game? At this point, I'm picking the Niners to score 30. I mean, yes. think of, they had negative six yards in the first quarter against the Eagles and still dropped 40, let alone 30. They're at home this week. I I got to go Niners 31, Seahawks 20. And that's probably being generous, to be honest with you. Okay, I'm going to go Niners 34, Seahawks, I go 22. That's a nice number. Yeah, I you think. get a touchdown. Maybe you get a actually, actually, nineteen. I like that better. There you go. <laughs> Keep them under twenty. Good. That's what the 49ers defense has has been doing. You know, for... it's the buy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, they have. Yeah. So I think that's totally legitimate. You know, and God, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good to say they're going to go and schmatz the Seahawks? I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to be in the building and I have a pretty good record when I'm in the building. So um, I'm ready to see a 49ers win on Sunday. Uh, But for now, folks, have a good rest of your Thursday. I'm getting claustrophobic in this closet (laughs) here, ready to get out. All right, y'all have a good one. Peace.